You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, 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 yo. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practices Show podcast. You ever thought to yourself, I might just sell my practice. I'm getting a lot of offers or interests just to sell it, or this is just getting too hard. I just want to get rid of it. Well, today I bring in Dr. Craig Spodak, a friend of mine who introduces an idea that you can be on a team, never sell, don't sell, not just yet. Anyway, create a practice in which you can enjoy it and have more fun and possibly make a lot more money. You're going to want to listen to this. It's great thought process and he gets pretty transparent about the truth and what's going on in the market today. So make sure you listen up. I know you guys will enjoy it, and we'll see you soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. You know the jam around here. My job is to find the greatest thinkers, greatest speakers, greatest teachers, greatest podcasters in all of dentistry, and bring some information to you on the drive or whether you're cutting the grass or you're going for a walk to help you improve your practice and your life. And today we're going to do exactly that with one of my friends in dentistry who always bends my brain, Dr. Craig Spodak. And he's going to be talking about the team never sell concept. I love it. And so make sure you listen up. So Craig, thanks for being on brother. Appreciate you. Yeah, my pleasure, Kirk. I appreciate what you do for dentistry and always fun talking to you. So this is good to be here. Yeah, it's good. He's, he's like, before we hit the go button, be a little contentious with me. Come on, let's create some <laughs> Well, I just don't, I just want you to be real. That's all. I just like real. <laughs> we and will real be real. means you're going to be, fun, you're going to want to spar with me a little bit. I'm cool with that. That's okay. I'm, and then I'm happy he, we're talking about the, I'm happy we're talking about this today though. I am too. And he also asked me like, is it okay if we swear? Do you swear on your pile? I'm like, yeah, I'd swear a little bit, but like, uh, Here's the thing. Let's start here because I always enjoy you. I listen to your podcast. It's awesome. I'm going to encourage you if you're a listener, you got to listen to his podcast too. But if somebody's listening and they don't know who Craig Spodak is, let's start there. Who are you? Like, tell me what you do. Where do you practice? What are you up to? So I'm a third generation dentist. I practice in Delray Beach, Florida. Um, We practice in one single location. It's 13,000 square feet, 18 operatories, soon to be 25. Uh, multidisciplinary facility, 10 doctors, 50 support team. Um, I got my ass kicked a ton. I learned a lot. I failed forward. 
I became successful despite myself and uh, started a, a podcast, wrote a book. Um, my fa- uh, co-founder and partner, Peter Bolden, practices in, in Atlanta. <clears throat> we wrote a book, became a bestseller on Amazon, um, podcast, a whole bunch of downloads, surprisingly, which is incredible because I think no one's actually listening to me. I'm just talking to empty <laughs> space. Um, and um, yeah, married for 14 years, got two kids. Um, I like, uh, a lot of different things. I'm, I'm, I'm now in the beef business, Kirk. What? I don't know if you knew that, but what I, is the I, beef? I have a cattle ranch and I'm selling beef. Come on. Um, so, yeah, no joke. Yeah. Like what does that so, mean? Um, I don't know what that means. Explain what that well, means. Well that, okay. So like, you know, a hamburger, right? Right. That's beef. So I know that. Imagine, <laughs> okay. I just didn't know where I had to meet you. Well, you know, you know me well enough. We got to start at square one. Okay. So I'm good with that. Let's go to square two. Okay. So. I don't want to take up too much time on this. So I'll make it a very short story. So uh, my buddy, I grew up in Florida and my father's a, a, like a semi-professional skeet shooter. He shoots those clay targets. He shoots 22,000 shells per year. So he took me you know, skeet shooting when I was a kid. We used to go bird hunting and I fell in love with like the Florida, center Florida wilderness, which is for the coastal people. They don't understand that there's a whole separate portion of Florida out there. So fast forward, I rented... I, I did a land lease of 16,000 acres with a couple of buddies of mine. And I just noticed my kids loved it and I loved it. No one's on their iPad. So I dipped my toe in the water, bought a ranch, uh, a piece of land. It came with cows because there's a tax incentivization. Wow. started learning about the cows and my ranch hand and said, hmm, maybe we could do this. And lo and behold, uh, uh, a ranch called Savin Ranch was born. And Savin is S-A-V-I-N named for my kids, Sage and Gavin. Fun fact. Awesome. Cool. And you enjoy yeah. it? I love it. Yeah, why yeah. not? I just enjoy being a novice. And there's so many areas of my life that I've become uh, a little less novice in. So now I go out here and I'm an idiot. So I like being an idiot again. Yeah. I talk to the ranchers out there like, you don't see that? You don't You don't know how to do that? You don't know what, the, like, how do you survive? I'm like, well, I don't live here. Yeah. I live in the coast. There's Starbucks. I can get my, I can handle my day yeah. without having to know that that's a poisonous snake or that cow needs to, you know, this type of vitamin or this type of, uh, you know, a vaccine or whatever. So it's cool. Yeah. I know you well enough that you're not an idiot at all. You're actually a pretty brilliant, brilliant guy. And I love the topics that we always cover. And one of the podcasts, actually one of my favorite that we've ever done was on the whole culture thing. Like I, I really think you're one of the few people that's got a great thumb on what that really means, how to do it. And we're going to come back to that one because I mean, 10 doctors, I think you've learned a few things to be able to keep and oh, grow yeah. doctors. Um, and uh, go ahead. What were you oh, there's a, funny, so, so there's a funny side to that, by the way, Kirk. The funny side to that, and this is something I'm not uh, proud of, but guess how many associate doctors I've had in my 24-year career? The graveyard, if you will, of failed associateships. Oh, my gosh. I would think- Well, it, I mean, they're all not failed. Some had to move and some went on their own, but over 20. Over 20. Over 20. Okay. Yeah. So it's like when I say failing my way forward, it's like I had to learn the hard way how to make these things work. And I just had such either stupidity or tenacity or maybe a little bit of both to just keep running into the same brick wall over and over until I'm like, ah, I don't have to do this anymore. I can do it this way. So, yeah. um, you know, that's what I'm proud about Bulletproof because there's a lot of people out there that teach dentists and, um, some have actually done it and some haven't. I don't want to take anything away from the ones that haven't. Because like you could be an NFL coach and not play as good as the NFL player. So I, right. I think you can provide great coaching and insight even if you don't play the game. But I do think there's a rare 
<clears throat> grit that if you've actually done it and gone through the pain, you get a little bit more street cred in my own mind. For sure. For sure. And I would say over 20 and you kept 10, I mean, your percentages are pretty high compared to yeah, what I've fair. heard, you know, so yeah, what I've yeah, seen. Yeah. I mean, I have some docs that have had nine and they haven't been able to keep one. So, yeah. you know, so I think you got to actually 12 now, um, actually. So yeah, the percentage okay. is good. It's, it's fine. I mean, but life happens, you know, you meet right. someone, you love working with them and they move to Chicago because they get married or one of my doctors, Dr. Alfredo got a great opportunity in Miami left and, you know, I never burn a bridge. And right. two years later, it's like that great opportunity was not a great opportunity. I want to come back and I want to become a partner. And he came on back. So, you know, but I, so there's, there's always life happens and it's never going to go to plan. Right. So you guys got to listen to this. This is going to be good stuff. So Craig, I want you to go into the team never sell concept. Let's talk about what it is and the why before we get into the how. What is it? So right now, we're all aware of this pervasive narrative of this DSO bubble is going to burst. Money is flooding in, but it's going to dry up. And you don't want to be the last guy standing, not cashing in on the value of your practice. So there's a lot of dental FOMO out there. And I think that the, the narrative is strong and, and, and widely held by different, different parties. Um, you know, whether those be different portions of the industry as a force to, to push us to consolidate. And I think it's fine if that's what you want to do, because, you know, you want to exit your career, you want to exit dentistry. But I think there's a lot of people that are caught in the crosshairs of this narrative that just need to work on their businesses a little bit and make the business work for them. And they just don't know how to do that. So they pull the effort card and wind up selling. And I am a big proponent of the team never sell concept where you learn how to make your business work for you, that you're not a prisoner of your business, that it can actually run like a business if you want that to be the case and that you would then never want to sell. Yeah. So um, I, I'm a guy who many times picked up the phone and called Acme DSO and said, guys, it's time. I just can't handle it anymore. I'm like, okay, here it is. And like the 11th hour, I'm like, oh, it's not the right, right time. No, I can do this. I can do this. And then two or three years later, I got a little better and then called them again. And then, and, and if I could look back in the last, you know, 10 or 15 years of practice ownership, it was nice to know that you're wanted. You know, there's nice to know that there's intrinsic value of your practice. But at the same time, when you sell your business, you have to take that money and invest in another business. So you never really exit business. You just exit yours and then go put the money somewhere else. And one thing that we as dentists that our operators know, we know our dental businesses. Right. So when you sell and you take that money and dump it in a mutual fund, I guarantee you don't know as much about that mutual fund as you do in your own practice. So the team never sell approach is to get the business working and then make sure it provides uh, the, the cash flow that a business of that of that character deserves and and then ride off with it. Right. So a couple things I want to throw into the conversation and you can say true or false. I've heard this so many times in 26 years. Dentists are more motivated by fear of loss than hope of gain. And that's the one thing I have a problem with in dentistry is that everyone, when it comes to a narrative or a sale, dentists will move quick on a loss more than they will the hope of gain. True or false? Uh, absolutely true, in my opinion in my experience. And so fear is a great selling point in dentistry, you know, in, in, and I see this, I see exactly what you're talking about. Now, one more thing I'll throw at you because you get these conversations all the time. 
I'll go to a big conference and a dentist will come up to me and go, you know what? This is hard. And I heard this commercial. Are you, do you not like being a dentist? Would you like to go back to just treating patients again? We'll sell your business to us and we will own 51% or 90% of your business and you can just enjoy your life today. And then, the, and then I tell the dentist, I'm like, but then I own your ass when I buy your business. True or false, you know? Well, I'll, I'll give a partial truth to that. Um, you know, listen, everybody's situation is unique. And there are people that at the right time and the right place, it might not be a good, it might not be a bad idea to transact their business. True. What I'm fearful of is that the message is so pervasive and the net is cast so broadly, it's catching everybody. So, you know, whether 10% of the population needs to hear that, hey, sell now or 20% or 5%, it's not 99% as all I'm saying. And I, I think coming back to your first point, the dentists are, are risk averse. I think it's a selection bias because you don't become a dentist because you're ready to be an entrepreneur. Right. An entrepreneur, um, you know, I've had portions of my life that are entrepreneurial as, as you have as well. It's literally scary as shit. It's like, it am is. I going to make it? And I think part of the reason why we all became dentists, we number one, we want to help people. And number two, we're like, that's pretty recession proof. It's pretty risk averse. So by nature, the act of becoming a dentist puts you in a small category of people who don't like to take chances. Right. So that's why it's a powerful narrative between like, hey, Dr. Jones, it's going to dry up. You're going to be totally like high and dry. So it catches us in a, in a very opportunistic way. And I'm, I'm, I'm really happy we're talking about it today Yeah, and that your listeners and my listeners are going to hear this. Yeah. So I have a lot of young listeners. So Craig, I'm going to pretend to be a 31-year-old dentist. I'm thinking about doing this, like mentor me in this short few minutes. Like, what were some of the questions you'd ask me? Like, Craig, give me some advice if I'm listening. What do you, what would be your advice? Oh yeah, that's very simple. Cause I do this all the time in the, in the Bulletproof uh, practice ecosystem. So the first thing is there's another narrative and we won't really go deep into it, but it's like, there's a lot of what you should do in dentistry. There's a million coaches. They all tell you that you should do these four easy steps. Dentistry is beautiful in that it can provide exactly what you want. So I know practice, each practice I ever visit is like a complete snowflake. They're totally, totally different. And the way they maximize for either profitability, experience, legacy, charity, they all have their own vibe or they, at least they should have something they stand for beyond just, you know, fixing the teeth. So the first, first thing I'd say to the 31 year old is what do you really want from your life? Because dentistry can provide that for you. You might just want to you know, be a softball coach and do the dentistry, you know, three days a week for five hours. Or you may be an entrepreneur and want to scale a business, or you may practice in a rural area and want to take care of the farmers and two of your days are philanthropic and three of the days are for profit. But it's, you have to build what suits you. So the first thing is something that no one ever wants to do yet. And you have to do this if you're going to be fulfilled and successful in your life. You have to sit down and get intentional on what your future life is going to look like. So 31-year-old dentist, he or she, sit down, describe exactly what your future practice looks like. It's not like this hopium bullshit thing where you try to come up with all this crazy stuff, but start the writing exercise. And as you write it, you'll have like an authenticity filter. So as you write something that doesn't resonate, you'll erase it but it'll be a cathartic and constructive process where you can describe your future life. Three ops, five ops, 500 grand of production, 1.5 of production, get it all out. And then from there, that's when I would start advising you because the anything less than that or without that step, I'm telling you what I would do. And when I meet my Bulletproof uh, dental people, 
they say, I want what you have. Well, why? Well, I want to make money when I'm not there. And then they come visit my practice like, oh, damn, I wouldn't want anything like this. Or I see their practices and they say, what do you think? And I'm like, well, all due respect, Dr. Jones, if I had your practice, I would hate it. It's not me. It's, you know, so you're successful in life when you know what you want and you get what you want, but you decided what, what you wanted. You put some time into it because the worst thing is to get what you want and realize you never really wanted it. That's where you have no fulfillment and you're really miserable. Right. Two things. I love this. Okay. Two things. Okay. But Craig, I'm going to totally do this exercise. I'm 31, but, but, but you don't know my area. You don't know how much competition. And I call those self-limiting beliefs. And the truth of it is, is they do get in the way when you haven't really been and they stop you. You think, oh, I could never do more fee for service in my area. No one wants to pay for it. Help me through what those beliefs do and how, how do I get through those? Well, so that's, that's me, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about human psychology and, you know, Kirk, you and I are humans and our own, we are our own worst enemies. It's the dialogue that we have, the constant dialogue, what we whisper to ourselves. It's the most destructive force in our lives. So yes, you want to point externally that my community doesn't have this or I can't do that, but that's just the self-limiting beliefs are, are apparent for all of us. And we all have our own issues. Um, and as one area of self-limiting belief sheds off, another one comes up. But I've, I've met those dentists who I've lectured for companies and I've literally had people raise their hand and I was in different cities that I didn't even know very much on, but I drove to the hotel and I drove past, you know, car dealerships and I would go into the lecture that evening and they'd say, well, you don't know, know our area. They can afford this or that. Well, well, you know, doctor, how far do you practice from this one hotel well, right down the street? I'm like, well, there's a Mercedes Benz dealership right there. Do you think Mercedes would build a brand new dealership in an area that couldn't afford to have cars like that? But if you believe that your area is not going to support the practice and you tell yourself, and more importantly, you tell your team that you will never be able to do it because you, you are the leader and the psychology and skill set of the leader makes everything impossible or possible. Right. So, you know, if, it, if not, what I would say to those people, if not for you, for them, we all create greater leverage for people that we care about than for our own selves. We all, we all care to take care of those. I'm sorry, let me say that again. We all want to take care of other people sometimes more than we take care of ourselves. So as you, the leader of the business, the doctor in the practice, if not for you, and give your team the power to believe that it's possible because if the psychology of the leader is not a fit for growth, you will never grow. Yeah. So I love that. Some leverage there. Yeah. You struck a nerve on something. I'm going to, I want you to go back to this too. I hear this one all the time, but Dr. Spodek, I want to, I want to make money while I'm not there. I don't want to be tied to the practice. So I want to grow this big yeah. thing and our, my patients need coverage. And so I want you to speak to what that really, what's, what's behind that. And what's the truth well, you, about you it? Brought up, sorry, Kirk, go ahead. What's the truth? What's the truth about it? Well, so you brought up two distinct points. So the, the guy who says, I feel bad because I don't make money. I don't really have a business. I'm just a dentist. I, I have a job. Or I'm just an associate. And I hate those. I'm just the whatever. I just have one office. I'm just a, I'm a solo dentist. Because at the end of the day, LeBron it has a job. But it's a really, really high paying job as your job is as, as a dentist would be. So, you know, there, there's two distinct things. There are people who are artists, 
There's people who are manager leaders. There's people who are entrepreneurs. There's, there's distinctions that people need to figure out what, what, who they really are. And I love the artist. My dad and my grandfather, solo practitioners, artists, refine their craft. But oftentimes my dad would look at the practice we built now and say, now you were so smart. You did this or that. I'm like, dad, it's just who I am. We're built different. You know, I, I had it in me to say that I wanted to build something bigger. But when I got into this, I made the decision that if I was to make less money, but grow a larger business, would I want that? And the answer for me was definitively yes. So it wasn't about the money. It was about building something that potentially revolutionized dentistry and and create a different approach. But for those that think, feel bad that they have a job and they're strapped to the practice, don't. You're an extremely highly paid person. You know, it's what you're not laying bricks, you're not tiling bathrooms. You know, it's a, it's a great profession and a lot of us can make a lot of money in a very little amount of time. So I think that's the first part. But then the other part you said was what, what, what they said they, they well, want to grow. Uh, they want to, yeah. A lot of times money. the miss, I mean, let's just call it out. Big is sexy. It'll always be sexy. You'll always see, oh, my friend has two CBCTs. He's got this big practice. He's got a third one and he's got this vacation home and all these other things. It's okay to think this because you look around, you, you, you believe this. If I grow it to something bigger, that's going to give me more time, you know? And so I, I think you're, you're onto something brilliant, but most people think conventionally, you know, the bigger I make this, the more I'm going to be able to do what I want to do and get back from this. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of what you just said, whatever you want to create, let's create it. But at the end of the day, you got to enjoy going to work. Oh, this is me. I'm pretty sure right. I wouldn't want your operation. You're just built for that. I'm not, you know? And so, yeah, I think uh bigger, maybe I'm trying to say bigger isn't always better. Speak to that. Well, it's just whatever suits you. Right. You know, like I don't have to be in the office today. There's no other reason that I need to be in my office today. I could handle everything from outside my office, but I chose to be here because I love it. Right. I built something that I love. I love, I'm an extrovert. I'm, you know, talking to different people. I'm engaging with them. But if you're an introvert and you want to build something like this, and if you don't put some really good operators in place, it's going to be really hard on you. So I think it's like that, that the first quote of the Stoics, know thyself. Right. And I think the second quote, don't bullshit yourself. I don't know what, which Stoic said that, but that's one of the things you, you, you catch this idea, you hijack someone else's vision. I want what Dr. Jones did. I'm going to do that. And by the way, I have the privilege, you know, in Bulletproof, we've worked with 125 different mastermind clients where we dive deep into their practice over the last five, four years. And we look at their P&Ls and I see some of these people who outwardly are, you know, amazingly successful people. And I look at their P&L and I dissect everything and I'm like, holy smokes, you make 18% of your collections. You'd be better financially working with Dr. Jones down the street and getting 30% of your collections and doing what you do. And they say, well, that's fine with me because I love my business and I love doing this. But there's others that are like that. That's They had no idea. They never did the numbers to realize that their, their actual entrepreneurial profit for owning the business is negative. It costs them to own a business. Yeah. Hugely eye-opening. It is. And it shouldn't make you feel one way or another. It's just the numbers will show you what you really have. Um, I was that guy. I had a you know multi-million dollar top line at one point and a bottom line that was so anemic that 
I could have literally just gone over to the local DSO and say, give me 30% of what I produce. And I would have made more money than having that $8 million top line business. Wow. That's a big kick in the butt. It is. It is. Now walk us through the never sell concept. Give us the highlights or the points. What does it look like? Tell me what the framework's all about. So, so at a 30,000 foot level, people sell a business that is either not performing or um, they don't like. And then when you have a business that you like and is not performing, you don't want to sell it and everybody wants to buy it. So if you are this person, you're listening to this and saying, you know, I'm pretty much decided I want to sell, but you're probably thinking I got to get my business fit to sell. I want to get it better. I want to refine the process to then sell it. My suggestion is go through the training to get it to work for you and then reevaluate it. Because once you turn it passive, and I think all businesses, if left long enough with proper care and stewardship, should turn into a passive investment. That's just the natural progression that fails or it scales and becomes passive. So my hope for everybody is if that's what they want to do, that they can go through the steps, the understanding of primarily your service offering, your culture, your marketing, your innovation, your succession plan, appointing great people within your team to take on the responsibilities that you're doing right now and really growing your team and, and having them take on more and, and see what can come of that. Yeah, that's awesome. Now give us the other side of it. So you grow to become a path, I, and I completely agree. And I love how you characterize both of them. So let's, let's walk through 30 years of doing this. So if I do this for 30 years, what can I expect once I get close to 55 or 60? And how old are you? You're, you're my age. Right? I'm 51. So you're a little bit younger than me. And you know, you're, you don't have the energy that you used to. Your interests change a little bit. Your perspective's a little bit bigger. What's it look like when I never sell? I mean, who will? But Craig, you don't understand all this I get offers to sell my practice all the time. This is going to go away. We, we pointed to this earlier. So, Well, let, let's just talk about this is going to go away. So studies that I've read point to as things consolidate, like using dermatology and veterinary medicine as, as corollaries because they're, they're largely a lot more consolidated. More of them belong to organized groups than in dentistry. So what I've heard is that as consolidation continues, multiples go up because you're, there's less, you know, you're the last girl at the dance to, you know, to dance with. I mean, at, at a certain point, it, you know, it's a supply and demand concept. So I, I think valuations will continue to go up and down based on the price of debt. Uh, but I don't believe in this FOMO, you're going to let be left high and dry and never have any options. Right. But let's face it. If you have a solo practice and you are the business a DSO or a company that's going to be buying you is going to be buying you and paying you with your own money. So you don't get to be Dr. Kirk and show up one day, get a big fat check and walk out a year from now. Right. If you do, they're going to have a replacement strategy and there's going to be clawbacks. If you don't produce adequately, you can get the money clawed back. So for those guys, it might even be compelling for them to work for four or five years and then just throw the damn thing away because- when you look at the money that they're going to give you and then the taxable portion of it and, and all the other components of it, it might not be as sexy as the letter of intent that slides across the table looks. Right. But if you're a team never sell person and your business is passive and you enjoy it, that's the most important thing. Because I think 
people work so hard in dentistry for so long that they can't bear the thought of another day, another month, or another year of doing it. If you get to that point, if you're at that point right now, I would just suggest you take off a couple weeks. Your practice will survive. Never make a long-term decision on an emotional feeling at the at, you know momentary emotional feeling. And I see a lot of people do that. So what I would recommend is just get some get some clarity, take some time off. I know you think you can't, but it it will be okay. I'd rather you do that than flick you know flick the switch and sell when you didn't really want to. But for those that have a business that exists and it gives them some purpose and fulfillment. I, I don't see the need to ever sell it so long as the return on your investment of owning the business is as good as what it would be in the market. And what do I mean by that? If your business is worth a million dollars and you're making at least whatever you want to call it, five, six, eight, ten percent on that money, then why sell it? Because right. if you sold it at a million dollar business, you're going to get hit with taxes. You're going to put it in the market and be lucky to get five percent. So you got to think about your asset. Right. And I know what the DSO people will say, well, you got to take some chips off the table. You got to diversify. All your eggs are in one basket. What if a tornado hits your building? You know, that that happens, but that's there's insurance for that. And you can also, if you're young enough and you're early in your career, you can start building those money machines. So you can take the money that's earned with dentistry and start buying, you know, assets, real estate, commercial real estate stocks. And by the way, the associates have it even better because they don't have all the capital tied up in a practice. If you're an associate, you can actually be a business owner. You can just own other portions of businesses, whether that be those things that I just mentioned. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. Now, this isn't my domain. I'm getting outside of my lanes here. And I, I hear about them, but the earnout. what are you hearing on the street? You know, I hear people, oh, I saw, but you don't understand. The earnout on the other side can be less desirable. Tell us what's the well, current landscape on that. So I, I think what you're saying by earnout, like, you know, putting the, the roll forward or the claw back, because there's a roll forward where you might be entitled to roll your money into the new company that's being organized. Right. Like, which one are you speaking of? I'm speaking of both, actually. And I'm also talking about the contract that you sign that says you have to work here for X amount of years. Now, you hear all this stuff. And again, I, I get all this stuff in different ears, but I'd love to hear what you're hearing for our listeners. Well, I mean, you know, we're cutting with broad brushstrokes here because there are people that have family emergencies. They hurt their hand. Right. You know, their spouse has a terminal disease. I mean, there, there are nuances to this conversation, but let's just, let's just pick a, a person. Let's pick an able 45, 55-year-old guy who's a solo practitioner, guy or gal who's a solo practitioner doing a million dollars a year. What the DSO will, no one's going to, I mean, I shouldn't say no one because I'm sure there's somebody out there, but- there's, there's been enough DSO transactions where they've seen the pitfalls, where people get all their money and be like, okay, I'm not going to show up the next day. So there is a holdback. So there's typically 60 to 80% upfront and the rest isn't a holdback. And the problem with the holdback is some DSOs may actually tell you, um, we're going to fire Sally because we have a Sally in our main office in you know, Washington, D.C. Well, well, I'm in Florida. Yeah, but we have a Sally. But Sally has a lot of brand equity in relationship with the patients. And when you fire Sally, the hygienist is upset. And by the way, it's you know, no longer this composite. It's this composite. No longer this lab. It's no longer this clear line. It's that. So in many ways, you're, you're handcuffed to be able to do the clinical dentistry and have the team around you that you always had. 
So if they trim costs to benefit their P&L, they may affect your ability to produce. And guess what? You'll be responsible for that. So there's a clawback. So what does that mean? It literally means that the money that they were given, there's provisions that they can claw it back and ask for it back. Very normal, usual and customary, just something for you to know about. And that's usually not in the LOI. And the next thing we talked about is the second bite of the apple, which could be very appealing. And, you know, for, for those that are listening, I've been down this road many times and been at the altar and actually thought I was going to do it. And um, at the 11th hour, it just felt wrong. And I, I could, I, I, you know, the original sales pitch and then when I got really into it, started not line up. And I got a dose of reality and thank God I didn't do it. But um, there are opportunities for those that want to do it to actually put their money and roll it forward into the private equity company and get a return on that. And sometimes the 20% roll forward could actually be just as valuable as the 80% you got up front. Right. But I mean, marketing conditions and you got to believe in that DSO and what they're doing. And um, I just think if I could reiterate, I think that there, there's, there needs to be more optionality and more dialogue for it. This is not your only choice. And I'm really proud of, you know, what you're doing, Kirk, helping dentists and what Bulletproof is doing, helping the business practices of dentists. Because if you just got a little bit more training and we got none, literally not a minute when I went to school, a business training, if you got some degree of training, you could be, you could navigate through this. It's like going into tennis and you've never had one tennis lesson. Yeah. So I love what you're saying. And I'm going to throw one more thing at you and I want you to comment on this. You know, the elephant in the room that no one ever talks about is dentistry is an incredible profession. It's an incredibly noble industry and it isn't bleak ahead. It's only huge ahead. Half of the public goes to the dentist. This is the United States. That's another thing to remember. That every economist agrees that the biggest problem in our country isn't the health, isn't healthcare and the economy. It's the aging population. We have so many people right now in Japan, adult diapers are outselling children's diapers. They set micro trends for us. There's going to be so many people, Craig. We don't have enough dentists. So to think, oh, there's not going to be enough dentistry to do. And there's too many. Like, I think the important thing to understand is there's a huge future ahead for dentists and the power of choice. Going back to what you said, the power of choice is one of my favorite things as an entrepreneur. You're choosing to come in today. You can choose what procedures. As the industry changes, you can choose. I just, I want you to speak to any of that. Yeah, so I appreciate you saying that. Dentistry is a beautiful profession. It can be exactly what you want it to be. Um, if you're not stuck, if you hate your practice right now and you hate everything, what you've chosen, you, you listen to some people and you got in a place where you don't like, don't worry. There's, there's options for you. You can completely pivot your practice. You could be doing patchwork dentistry and go to Coice or Spear, any of those great organizations and start doing FMRs and comprehensive dentistry. You could be doing comprehensive dentistry, but it hurts your back and you want to just do clear aligners. You can get an associate and give that to them. There's so many choices. When I talk to burnt out dentists and I talk to them all the time, they're so stuck with those blinders on. It's just, I was that guy too. And as soon as you start talking about this, like you're right, you're right. And you see this weight lifting off of them, like, oh my God, it's not that hard. But we're stuck, you know, in the myopic perspective of dentistry, we're literally life under loops. You know, I'm going to write a book called Life Under Loops because in dentistry, your success and failure lies in a micron. 
So you treat your life in the micron. You can't see the macro. So it's incumbent upon guys like you and me to keep beating on this drum. Dentistry is golden. It's a beautiful profession. You can pivot. You can reinvest. You can reinvent rather. Or you can you can actually just take your practice and sell it and move to wherever you want. Anywhere right. you want in the United States that you love, you can go there and be okay. If you're a restaurateur and you fail, you're in deep doo-doo. Like yeah. you're not gonna, you know, as a dentist, if you have a license in good standing and a good skill set, pick any spot in the country that you want to live and you can get a job as an associate. And maybe the pressure of owning a practice is not for you. And you realize that as well. And you're like, you know, screw it. I just want to show up and do the dentistry. There's a lot of guys like me out there that would love to hire a seasoned dentist that's a good person and does good dentistry. There's so much optionality and we just fail to recognize it. And that's the big problem. That's why we're leading in divorce and drug abuse and all this stuff. We're, we're leading in those categories because we don't understand what's really available to us. Yeah. I want you to go back to the burnout thing. I get that one all the time, every week. What's this? We're not mental health experts. Give me your hypothesis on burnout right now in dentistry. So I think um, I'm happy we're talking about this because it's very real. And I have uh, a lot of people that reach out to me, you know, once a week, twice a month. Um, and they're telling me that I'm, they're in a really bad spot. And I think the thing that I've seen that helps people the most is there's two factors. Number one, we don't get burnt out of because of what we do. We get burnt out because we forgot the why behind it. So dentistry is really beautiful. You get to be paid to help people. Never forget the privilege it is to be able to serve other people. And when you make it about yourself and you start over obsessing about yourself, you lose fulfillment and purpose. So if you're in a burnout stage, focus on everything around you. If you feel less appreciated, give appreciation. Whatever you want more of in life, give it away first. If you work with a team of dedicated people, or even if they're mildly dedicated, but they've been there a long time, find new ways to appreciate them. If you're listening to this podcast on the way to work, go to work and tell everybody how much you appreciate them. Sally, you're my hygienist. You've been here for four years. I'm not good at this stuff, but I just want to let you know how much I appreciate the fact that you come here every day and help, help me with our patients. Diane, Johnny, do the same thing with all of them. So figure out a way, like a hack, to just go out and appreciate everybody. Um, I think that's the first thing. And then the second part of this is that realize that everyone suffers. So in the mastermind at Bulletproof, one of the great things that happens is they see people like me and Pete, who are finger quotes for those not listening, successful, got everything, they want it all. And they start realizing, oh shit, they have major drama. They have huge troubles. They have upset team members. They have marital problems. They have problems with their kids. So this realization that everybody is suffering, everybody's coping, no one has it all figured out. Anybody who tells you everything's going perfectly is bullshitting. Right. You know that, Kirk. You're an entrepreneur. 100%. You know some days are really bad. They are. Some days you got a sword and a shield, and some days it's just a shield. You're getting your ass kicked. Yeah. So I think the realization that even the greats, and again, people think of me, you know, as that, have major issues in their personal life and their professional life, right. is an unconscious permission for them to say, "Okay, it's not just me," and that band of brothers and sisters creates um, a community that lets them know it's okay as well. So well said, my friend. That is awesome. Now, I want you to talk about what you're up to. 
on August 11th and 12th, you're going to be putting people together. What is it about? Where is it? And what are you going to do? Okay. So speaking of community, so thank you for that. So August 11th and 12th at the Wynn Hotel in Las Vegas. You ever heard of that place? I have. I've been there. It's amazing. Yeah. So we're pretty pumped up about it. This is going to be our biggest Bulletproof Summit. It's our seventh annual and uh, it's going to be um, on 11th and 12th in Las Vegas. It's a two-day, 16-hour CE event. But the unlike anything else that I've seen, it's an entire team event. Because what usually happens is dentists go off and learn and hygienists go off and learn and office managers go off to their ADOM thing. And then everybody comes back at different times and nothing gets implemented. So what we decided to do is we made an event for the entire office. The dentists learn their portion. The hygienists learn theirs. The assistants and office manager go off and learn them. And then we come together for implementation because knowledge is not power. Execution is power. And that's the failing of all these other CE events that I've uh, been a part of. So it's the Bulletproof Dental Summit. Um, we do a 10 times money back guarantee, meaning if you don't collect more than 10 times what you spent over the following year, we'll give you your money completely back for the ticket price. That's how confident we are. Um, but it's going to sell out. It does every year. We have a room block at the win, which is like rooms for $200. Those rooms should be like $1,000. So I'm a big fan of rewards for your team. Um, and there's lots of those types of trips where they go on booze cruises and stuff like that. But I'm a big believer in work hard, play hard. You can have fun in Vegas and you can learn a ton that will actually move the needle on your practice. Guaranteed. Love it. Absolutely love it. So if you're listening to podcasts and you're not taking notes, don't worry. We're taking notes for you. You can flip up to the notes section in Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon. You're going to see a link to all Craig's stuff, the Bulletproof, the actual uh, meeting itself, and you just click on it, it'll take you right there. I'm going to highly encourage yep. you to check it out. I'm also going to highly encourage you, if you don't follow his podcast, you got to listen. It's really thought-provoking. Uh, you guys do make me, you make me laugh and you make me think every day. It's good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I have- People s- think we're joking, by the way, when Peter and I, because we fight a lot. It's contentious and people think it's an act, but it's real. We, we fight all the time. We're very different people, but I think it's good, uh, good fodder and oh, good sides of the coin. Oh, you can tell it's very real. It's very real. Like there's no, there's no BS in there. Like you guys, you guys share some information. I'm like, wow, that was TMI. That was, but that was good. <laughs> it's very, very good. And uh, before- life is TMI. Absolutely. And before you write that book and before you actually, before you release the book, I'm going to make you come on here. That's called Voluntolding. And you're going to share with us you know, what, it, what it's all about. I also, again, there's so many topics I want to cover with you. I, wa- I actually want to have you back and talk about associate retention, some of the secrets or the lessons or the hard knocks that you've learned. Um, I, 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 res- I listened to a recent podcast and you, you do this a lot is scheduling out. And I love that whole concept that when you're in a PPO environment, like choosing how you utilize your time, because a lot of people are caught into this wheel and they can't see a way out of it. And you guys preach it over and over and over again. And if you ever listen to the Bulletproof podcast, it's one of the pillars of how do you create what you want is you start, you have to start organizing your time and scheduling out. So we'll, we'll leave them, you know, with a little curiosity. I want you to describe that whole concept. That's a show in itself. Um, but yeah, for sure. I love those two, two topics. Those are definite shows for us. Dude. Absolutely. Make sure you write those down because I'm going to forget them in a minute. That's, oh, I got them awesome. all down. You don't even know what I'm planning here. So I love awesome. that one. Cool, brother. Well, thank you for being on. I appreciate you. And, and if you're listening, make sure you follow those links. Check them out. I promise you, you will enjoy the conversation. You'll enjoy the content. 
and it'll just make you think better and believe more. So stick around, Craig, while we say goodbye to everybody else. But thank you guys for listening to the Best Practices Show. Hey, if you enjoy today, do us a favor. Just hit the share button. Share this with your friends and your colleagues because we love this stuff. We're going to keep bringing it. I'm going to have Craig back again and again and again. So things that you want to learn from him, you send them to me and I'll get him on and we'll ask him for the secrets behind them. So until we see you guys next time or you hear from us next time, keep watching, keep listening to the Best Practices Show. You guys enjoy your day. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.